This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing in packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. This podcast is going to be a fun one. Um, I know some guys out there are looking into 3D as we get ready for uh, TAC. And uh, I had the privilege to shoot with uh, Brent Woodward. known him for a while. And uh, I guess I didn't really realize, you know, that he was state champion archer, that he had, you know, won a national event, all that stuff. I just thought he was like into archery. Um, but, uh, public land hunter hunts out of state, you know, hunts private land here in Michigan, but, um, you know, real successful, uh, very passionate about archery and, uh, comes at it with, uh, basically a hunting first mindset, you know, he's a competitive guy, but it's just, it's one of those things where one begets the other. So the time that he puts in behind the bow, makes it um that much easier uh if we can ever say that uh to make the shot when time comes so uh one of those one of those situations where you know the harder you get you work the luckier you get so uh 
lots of good information in this podcast. Uh, Brent's a great guy. He's going to be up at the Total Archery Challenge, uh, probably at our cookout that we're going to be doing Saturday night, getting the details <laughs> worked out on that, trying to figure out uh, how we're going to go about it. Uh, but if you're going to be at the Michigan TAC, um, A, you should be shooting your bow. I uh, just went and got uh, my brother-in-law, Chris, got him set up today, uh, built him a sight tape. Frank's working on his. I think he's going to end up with a new site by the time uh, he's all said and done, but he's reluctant to to, to get one. Um, but anyways, uh, and well, what I was going to say is uh, the guys that are uh, in the Patreon group, uh, and if you're a Patreon, definitely get a hold of me for the Marco Polo group. One thing that they're learning uh, with this one-shot group, uh, so they're doing a one-shot challenge, cold shot, and their first shot, is always way off um, of where they want to be, and the second shot is usually better. And that that's coming down to, you know, starting to relate that to hunting and uh, some things we talked about on previous podcasts with, like, Zach Farrenbaugh about talking about the number of animals that we get to shoot a year, uh, how many opportunities we get, and how sometimes we say, let's not blow it um, instead of, like, this deer is going to be dead. Um, and, and that comes into play here, um, in this podcast too. So that, that one shot, you know, shooting your bow regularly, all that stuff, uh, makes a huge, huge difference. So, um, that being said, if you're going to be, uh, well, if you're a Patreon, uh, hit me up, get you in the Patreon group. So then you can start, uh, interacting with some of the other guys. Lots of the other guys are going to be, uh, up at the total archery challenge. Many of them are already planning on the Patreon hunt for this year. Um, uh, I've got those dates. I'm going to be sending something out. Um, via Patreon uh, with the dates, kind of the plan again, um, very similar to what we did last year. Uh, but if you're interested in that, uh, hit me up because we're only going to have so much room and we don't want to, um, you know, not include anybody, but at the same time, um, we want somewhat of the same experience that we had last year. So all that and we're working on our uh bow hunter chronicles west uh spring bear hunt for 2024 um so if you're a patreon you're interested in that uh hit me up for details on that and uh we'll we'll get you included in that group as well and none of this stuff would be uh possible without you know obviously the support of the patreons and the support of our sponsors we're you know doing everything we can to give back create a community here uh through patreon and uh to give back as much as we can um the latitude guys are going to be up at total archery challenge they've got a booth they've got a house very near us um they they're likely going to be at the uh cookout as well um you'll be able to get your hands on some of those sticks check them out and um really going to enjoy that we'll be wearing you know all of our huntworth gear uh, working on that uh, turkey season out this morning with uh, with those Durham pants. Really enjoy those uh, from Huntworth, and uh, their some of their logo wear, some of their um, just their hoodies. Um, I really like those as well. And so for being in the blind, they got one that's black and camo, and uh, wore, wore that out this morning. Called in three birds. Uh, Frank did. Um, but uh, couldn't get a shot, and I didn't shoot because uh, I'm kind of waiting to, to hunt with my daughter, hoping um, that we're going to get an opportunity. She slept in this last weekend, so went out with my brother. He shot one with a with a shotgun, uh, going out, uh, taking a, a first-time hunter out on some public land uh, tomorrow and uh, going to chase him with the shotgun as well um, just because, you know, I, I had a hard enough time uh, 
with a great collar and you know not pressured birds better seasons all this stuff uh getting one with my bow so i want him to have the best opportunity but you know um all of that like i say our our sponsors you know big shot targets uh keegan he got his uh first uh, quarter uh, armadillo here has been saying he's going to try that out so that that did reach him lucky buck we got some lucky buck uh going up to the up we got it in missouri uh we just planted the vitalized seed in in the up the big big plots going in really excited to see how that's going gonna go um up there and you know just to all of our sponsors shot you know shooting out to uh, shooting 80 to 80 yards today with the new zinger arrows and uh then my old arrows with the zinger fletchings on there and uh grouping right together made sure they were all the same weight and uh, getting ready for tack you guys can check out their arrows from Kanadi up there at the total archery challenge and you know these companies are just great if you saw um genesis 3d he's he's teasing a couple of new products and i've got three of the new products that are coming out um in hand um tried one out up at the over the shoot in Wisconsin. Uh, the other one been messing around with here at home. And the, the third one I'm really excited about super simple, super easy design and, uh, really, really makes sense for uh, a lot of the stuff we do. So, uh, really excited for him to, to, to get those out to you guys. And, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds like it's so much, but you know, many of these companies are, are, our friends, um, they're products that we believe in and they give back, you know, to the Patreon, not only to us. So, uh, we got to thank you, the sponsor so much. And, uh, if you guys are interested in Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast, uh, click the links in our bio on Instagram, uh, any of that stuff. It's on the website, but, uh, come be part of this community and, uh, and get to know some of the, the other guys that are that are learning and uh, and going through this all just like we all are. So um, this episode is going to help a lot of people, uh, especially 3D. I didn't realize there's so many things I didn't re- realize about competitive 3D um, where it makes it like it almost would be fun instead of just uh, all competitive. So um, I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Thank you so much. As always, thanks for listening. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And indeed, John was supposed to be on this one. However, um, building a house and thousands of dollars worth of tools left out is a, is a bad uh, business model. So he, he opted to uh, pick up all of his tools rather than uh, make it over here. So I'm um, going to talk tonight about uh, some 3D archery. And uh, everything that that entails uh, as we start to get ready for tack with our tack preparation and all that. Uh, Brent Woodward, um, I don't know. I think we've known each other, you know, for the last three, four years um, at least. Yeah. And uh, we had about nine podcasts worth of conversation over this past weekend, uh, of which none got recorded some of that's good uh some of that's bad <laughs> you know there's some good information shared um but we're gonna just kind of dive right into this so uh how are you doing tonight brent doing good doing good so a uh, little backstory on on you what's what's your background from a hunting and then from a from a target archery uh standpoint yeah so i grew up in michigan actually about a half hour north of where you live now um, 
my dad hunted, uh, grandpa hunted, you know, family all did. And I got into archery around 12. Um, you know, like any 12 year old, you get your first bow and go out and, you know, give it a shot. But, um, my dad bow hunted, he was more of a rifle hunter, but he, he did bow hunt. I just was instantly drawn to archery and, um, you know, really liked it. Shot, you know, hand me down bows, uh, up through the time I was in college and stuff. And once I got my first job, I went out and bought my first, you know, my bow, you know, everything brand new off the shelf. And, uh, at that point I had a buddy that was shooting competitive 3d. He convinced me to come out and, uh, shoot with them. And I was a little hesitant. Um, in fact, first tournament I ever did, I shot as just a guest. So my scores didn't count. And, uh, after the tournament was done, the guy running it came to me and he's like, you realize if you'd shot competitive, you would have won your division. And that was kind of when a light bulb went off for me. I'm like, you don't have to be a pro archer. You don't have to be Levi Morgan, you know, to do this. And from the beginning and even, I mean, current, the reason I shoot competitive archery is to stay sharp for season. Um, I want to make sure when I'm out hunting that our, you know, my shot feels confident and I'm just confident going into the shot. So um, that's, that's what's led me to the competitive side. Still am crazy about bows. Uh, if I can, do an archery hunt over a gun hunt. I'll do it any day. And, you know, that's kind of my history on hunting. So one of the things that I didn't know, and I, I would imagine that there's, there's a lot of guys out there, obviously that know about 3d archery, but up until this weekend, and uh, I, I want to kind of go back through that a little bit, but I didn't understand the scoring, right? So you were saying, okay, well, I'm two up, I'm four up. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Um, because uh, shooting the, the indoor league that we, we shoot, that's the small game round. It's, you know, 10, 15, four two, whatever. Um, you know, John and, and some of the other guys that we shoot with are shooting for a perfect round and a perfect round would be all 15s. And so, okay. When you, when you were saying like, oh, I'm two up or, or like whatever, I, I had no idea that you didn't have to be perfect to, 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 to actually shoot a perfect score. So, so go into like the, the scoring and then like a typical event because everything that I've ever shot, like 3D is either like a just for fun. So the scores don't count. It's more about the laughs and the, you know, you either 12 them or dick them as we come into this, uh, total archery challenge season. Um, or it was the indoor where you're shooting for score and it's 15 or nothing, you know, like if you're going to shoot perfect, like you need 15s. Yeah. So there's a couple of scoring models out there, if you will, depending on the tournament you're in. Um, you're, your big tournaments are IBO, ASA, and in Michigan, we have the IAA. Both IBO and IAA score center 11. So you're inside your uh, vitals, you're going to have a bigger ring, which will be a 10 ring. But then inside that, the bullseye, if you will, that's worth 11 points. Then your outer ring is, uh, it's usually about the size of a softball, depending on the target you're shooting. Um, that's 10. And then the lungs is going to be an eight and any body hit will be a five. Now with ASA, um, 
they don't use the center 11s. They do offset 12s. You have a high 12 and a low 12. Um, and they also have a 14 that's in play. It's in the back of the lungs, but that's usually like shoot offs, stuff like that. Um, your local 3D clubs normally don't use it. Um, but yeah. And then, so when, when you're talking about two up, two down, whatever, you base the number of targets you're shooting. So most tournaments are 30 targets. ASAs went to a 20 target format, but if you're shooting 30 targets, 300 is considered even Um, for golfers out there. That's your par. And so what I do on every target is base a 10 is a zero or not a zero, but it's even. And so if I shoot a 12, then I'm two up. If I shoot an eight, I'm two down. And for me, it's just easy to keep a running score as I'm going through the round to say, you know, hey, I shot two tens, a 12, and one eight. So I'm even than trying to go 10, 20. All right, now I'm 32. You know, so for me, it's just easier to do that up, um, up, down, you know, mathematics, as well as at the end of the scorecard, trying to add up 30 targets um, can get a little bit mind boggling. So I just use the plus minus system. Um, guys that do this a lot, that that's kind of how you can tell if they've been in archery a while or doing a competitive archery, because like you said, I'll say at times to people, Hey, you're four up. And they're like, what are you talking about? Um, so, so yeah, it's, it can be a little confusing once you do it. Um, I feel like it's real easy to pick up on and the scoring rings. Another thing, um, like you said, you, some guys, they consider it, is it dead or is it still running? You know, did you gut shoot it? Did you kill it? Um, so that's, that's where competitive archery kind of clashes with hunting. You know, guys are just practicing for hunting because the scoring rings are not always in the most vital spot. You know, if you're doing a heart shot, you're normally going to score an eight as opposed to, you know, you shoot a 12, it, it might be actually a little bit of a higher, higher shot. Yeah. So like, and I went back cause, um, we got an email from the the club that we shot at over there in Wisconsin. And it said for everybody that turned in their things and there was different classes, different this and the, like the guy's like, Oh, so you're a uh, class one. And I said, I am going to use a cutoff man. I'm shooting range finder. I'm shooting. I'm asking a buddy phone, a friend I'm doing all everything I can. And, and Brent did, you know, he offered me up a pretty good compliment. I thought he said I was the top five shooter of the whole place. Now, can you clarify that, what you meant uh, by that? Well, I, I had the pleasure of uh, going out with you and one of my good friends, uh, John Strauss for our afternoon shoot. And John and I are very competitive. And so John pushes me to do better. And I think I do the same for him. Adam, you, you were doing great. You had a smile on your face after every target, but your arrows didn't always tend to hit the, the 10 ring. You, you had a few of them on the outside and, so I just said, you know, you're the top five shooter at this shoot. <laughs> Fives are fine. I mean, foam is my friend on that stuff. And, you know, I'll I'll tell you, um, I went and sighted in my bone and, and I was feeling like super confident. And it was like whatever. It was just like target panic shooting that the hinge release. And when I got home, I don't know if I, I, I don't know what. At what happened with that release or if it was just my absolute like super poor form. Um, but I, I came home and I could not, and, and I'm talking about poor form, like while I was shooting it on the course, mm-hmm. um, I could not make that bow 
I could not make the release go off until I rotated it almost all the way back around. And I shot, I don't know, probably 60 arrows um, just trying to, to get it like dialed in so that I was shooting. And, and I told John that I, now I can see what, what you guys as shooters that uh, do this a lot see. You know, because John, he'll he'll be at the club, and and Ernie talks about it too. They'll say, you know, the the pin was just floating, and the bow wouldn't go off. It just wouldn't go off. It wouldn't go off. And you know, I I think it's a combination of like not being that in control and not seeing the target as well. But I was just doing this. It was almost like blind bailing. I was doing it at ten yards, so I could see the spots and I could see. Um, the pin and it was like, I'd get to the click and then I'd be like, okay, just roll through, just roll through, just roll through. And it was like, I mean, it seemed like an eternity. Um, and then finally it would go off and I was pushing them to the right a, a little bit. Um, but I think that that was a combination of like the Joel Turner thing, like where he says like, you don't want an explosion to go off. Like, you you know, you, you know, it's coming and you're trying to like push through it. And the other side of that was, I think that by not necessarily for holding that at, at full draw for so long, but having to roll that release so far, I think I was coming out of my anchor. I think it was, I think my, my, my posture was, was breaking down because I'm not used to, you know, releasing the bow back here. Yeah. So, but you know, that's, as we get into this, um, you know, we're, what are we, a month away from TAC? Like, yeah. almost like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, today I was on my brother-in-law, Chris, like, hey, when are you going to get the bow out of the case? When are you going to shoot it? I was on Frank. Frank doesn't even have a sight yet to, he's like, I don't even have a sight that'll dial up there, you know? So, I'm like, well, Chris, how many arrows do you have? And he's like, well, I think I got about eight. I said, how many of them match? And he's like, oh, I think I got two sets of four. I'm like, okay, well, I've got arrows. Like we've got, let, let me see what you got. We'll figure out what we can, what we can do. Yeah. So what is the preparation like for, um, a combat? Well, let's talk about your like provenance with like the tournaments. So you got into the tournaments and then how did you like get hooked and, and where did that take you? Have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there? Well, you are not alone. And Vitalized Seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting. Vitalized Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less Roundup and less fertilizer each season. The 1-2 system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed. Make biology work for you. Order now at vitalizeseed.com. So, so yeah, I want to say it was back like 2006, 2007 uh, time frame is when I shot my first tournament. And like I said, it was a non-scoring round. Right after that, 
I I kind of turned on to the ASA circuit. Uh, IBO, they they had ups and downs. Um, I just felt like ASA was a little bit more easy to you know move into. So I got into the ASA circuit, and John, who you actually met um, this last weekend up at ATJ, uh, he was working with me and liked to shoot. So we started shooting together, and we're pushing each other, and uh, we started actually traveling to national events, but how I kind of transitioned was for the longest time, I would say up till maybe 2010, um, I was using my hunting setup. I mean, it was strictly my hunting bow was what I, I shot at tournaments, shot my hunting site, hunting arrows, whole nine yards. Um, around 2009, 2010, I bought a second bow and I did that because on out of state hunts, I wanted to have a second bow to take in case of an emergency. And as I, you know, got that second bone, got it set up, I was like, well, I'm going to do one for ASA and one for, um, hunting. And, you know, I can use that ASA bow at any time as a backup bow. And when I did that, I changed up my setup a little bit. You know, I, I bought a, it was still a, a multi-pin site, but it was more designed for the tournament archery setting, if you will. Um, I rest, I, I didn't really care if I had a quiet rest because, um, felt and stuff like that in your rest, you need it for hunting, but it can cause inconsistencies if, you know, a piece tears off in a tournament or something and your arrows just slightly, you know, off center. So I don't use any type of silencing material on my rest that, you know, that type of thing. And also I, I put a bigger arrows, um, for outdoor shooting. I usually use a 23 diameter arrow, um, for tack. I, I don't for tack. I, <laughs> get the smallest I can simply because of, you know, wind drift. But the class I shoot competitively is a hunter class, um, 40 yard max. If I shoot IAA, they do have a bow hunter elite class and that can go up to 50 yards, but still, um, I don't worry about wind drift too much with, uh, the competitive side, unless it's super windy, then I'll change my setup, but pretty much run 23 arrow or 23 diameter arrows and, um, just a, you know, more target based site. I don't use any type of magnification. Um, you know, there are classes where, you know, you were talking earlier where the guy asked you, you know, what class you were shooting. Um, unknown archery versus known archery. I would say unknown archery is a dying breed. Uh, people who are good at it, you know, your Levi Morgans, Dan McCarthy's, they've been doing it so long. And if you talk to them, they'll tell you they spend as much time, if not more time, judging targets as they do shooting their bow because it doesn't matter if you're the best shot in the world if your yardage is off by two three yards that shot's not going where you want it to go um i've elected to always do known classes and you know based on that my my setup you know dictates that um i also like i say doing the hunter setup i don't have the long stabilizers magnification um that type of thing and that's what separates your your classes. If you're running known or unknown, and then the type of equipment you have, do you have magnification, your stabilizers, hunting classes? For most organizations, you can't have longer than a 12 inch front bar. Some restrict your back bar, some don't. Um, but you'll see these guys at tournaments that you know have a 36 inch front stabilizer, and they most of the time are going to run some type of glass inside their scope housing or sight housing. And that it's basically like looking through binoculars, except for now you have a pin floating in front of that 
glass to aim with. Um, it's not something I, I, I actually have a bow set up that way. I don't shoot it as well. I don't feel. Um, so I've just elected to always do the hunter class as well as, like I said, I do this to stay focused for hunting season. I don't deer hunt with a lens. So I try to keep my setups as close as I can to my hunting setup to be prepared. So one of the things when I was looking through those scores and, and the, the guy that was on the last podcast with, um, with Aaron Ritter, that Chris Dunlap, did you see him there shooting or, or, or anything like that? Um, I, I seen him in passing and then, uh, since the event, I've actually, uh, seen a few of his posts on Facebook. Well, like you scored like something like 292 and 290 or something. They were, they were right about the, the same. And there was what, 28 targets. Yeah. 28 targets. So that would have been 12 up, right. Or 10 up, right. It's like, Oh, that's pretty good. Well, that Chris. (laughs) <laughs> he was 316 and i was like good lord like doing the math on it and i was like i was like okay okay all right but he was shooting um one of the a, a legit target bow but there was those kids in front of us that you said you know they were good shots those brothers um and they were up there too but you know i i, I shot with you and saw you know i was like oh that's pretty good you know, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's serious about it. And then I was like, holy shit, you know. Oh, I I saw Chris's score. It was like, did he carry an extra one somewhere? Because, <laughs> yeah, that, that was impressive. Um, like I say, I didn't know what kind of rig he was running until after the event, um, which is not taking away one bit from his score because I don't care if you have a 12-power scope on your bow. You still have to make the shot. And obviously, the guy can shoot a bow, so – yeah, it, it, that was very impressive because I was when I shot twelve up, not knowing you know the caliber of people out there, and it, it's it's competitive but not competitive. I mean, we were all kind of joking around, having fun. I was being competitive with John, you know, just for bragging rights. But you know, the twelve up, I was happy with, and then uh, John had actually seen his scorecard. I uh, didn't know who it was. He just said when he handed our scorecards in on Sunday, he's like, "Yeah, some dude shot like." Three three ten. I'm like, what? And so that, yeah, that was a very impressive score. So when you go to these events or like when you first started out, like what keeps you going? The hard part for me is you, you saw, like, I, I, I don't know. There's some things that I'm competitive at. I feel like I'm, I've, I've always just, and I forget who I was talking to on a podcast like this, but it's like, I've always been able to do everything like, you know, average or above average like sports came easy to me like lots of things were just just easy school was easy everything was easy easy you know and, and shooting a bow is like I shoot a bow okay you know <laughs> it's not but i i don't have like any desire to like I, i'm not gonna get mad about like making a shot like it's one of those things where i know the like mental part of it and it's like when i get mad or like when i start to like lose it like with the target panic stuff like then it just all goes to shit because you're pressing it so hard so it's like you might as well just have fun you shoot the damn thing wherever because it's like i already said i can't see the 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 spot so yeah so how is it just because you could have won that first one that it was like okay well now i'm good at this i need to continue or or how did that go um i have an addictive like 
obsession. I, I don't smoke. Um, I do drink, but I, I just, I'll get fascinated on something and I want to do it at the highest level I can. And archery is something that I won't say came easy, but I was good at. And when I went to my first national shoot, uh, John and I traveled down to Georgia for a national shoot. The atmosphere is a lot like total archery challenge. Um, you go out on a course, you, you have your fun and then you hang out and just, it was a vacation, you know? And so the atmosphere was part of it. But then the other thing was just striving to do better. And I'm trying to think of the year. Gosh, I feel like it would have been like 2013, 2015, um, somewhere in there. I, actually won a national shoot in the class I was shooting and just, I mean, I compare it to Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. the feeling, the accomplishment, you know, I, I had done well in past tournaments um, scored in the top 10 and it's like just trying to push yourself to get to that next level. And once I won that, it was just a feeling that you, you can't really describe. And for me, I've, I've transitioned a little bit. We actually discussed this uh, when we were having dinner that one night. I still love the competition side. I, I'm, you know, all in on it, but I'm really getting turned on to these fun shoots, you know, the R100s, the Total Archery Challenge, because I, I was at one point, I mean, back probably five years ago, I was shooting a competitive shoot every day of every weekend, um, whether it was I, ASA, IAA, or if there was some other local fun shoot that had a competition side, I was doing it. And I, you know, I have a young daughter now and as she's got a little bit older, there's more, you know, parental responsibilities there. So it took me away from some of the competition. I'm still all in. I just don't, I haven't been to a national shoot in a couple of years. Um, but, you know, as we discussed, I, I do plan on going to them. It's just, this is a point in my life where, traveling to Illinois, traveling to, you know, Alabama. I have other things that I, I need to do, but I still do a lot of the um, shoots here in Michigan, traveled to Indiana last year for a state championship there. So. Yeah. I felt like it was fun for me because I like to stir the pot and I felt like I was like, I was like, Oh man, I'm kind of pissing him off because it was like, uh, I was asking him, like, so what's holding you back from from doing it again? Like, you know, and and, and that's that's the thing that I like for people that have this like uh, addictive personality. For people that uh, are at this level, like Greg Litziger's another one, right? So he's won, you know, state championships, and you know, he shoots the unknown distance, and you know, shooting tack with him is is fun because. It's it's a very, um, I guess, like fruitful endeavor. He's like, video me shooting and I'll video you and then we'll break down the shots and we'll look at like what we're doing wrong and, and what we're doing. And, you know, it it doesn't waver for him like and it's just like time or like priorities or or whatever where you know i'm asking brent like hey man like you won a national event like why aren't you still doing it like why aren't you shooting these national shoes and you're like well uh, <laughs> so it's 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 fun for me and like uh, how do you feel because i mean it, on some level you know it's kind of like um 
you could always say, well, I was younger then or whatever, but like now you know what it takes to do it. And with something like this, where, I mean, I'm not, this isn't like a knock on you because Brent is, you know, he can still go out and do the hunts and all this stuff, but like, there's a lot of guys that are at these events that are not, uh, physical specimens. So it's not like the most, um, like athletic thing in the world. I think there's a lot of mental, mental side of it. And if you've already proved that you can do that, like, how does, how is it not just being able to, to continue on, you know? Yeah. And, and John summed it up. I mean, I was trying to explain it and I, I was stumbling, you know, a little bit, but like John said, it comes down to commitments. Um, I, I do, I really, really enjoy the competitive uh, world. For me, I have got into out of state hunting and I know I have so many weekends that I can bust away from the family, bust away from work and use that vacation time. I try to use it wisely. Um, like this year I had an out of state hunt that's kind of changed. Still going to do at least one, if not two. Um, I've got total archery challenge. So I start looking at the number of events that I have and then figuring out, can I fit a national event in there? Uh, I really was thinking about going to Kentucky this year, um, partly from our conversation, but I had a little bit of an inclination to go anyways. Uh, now I've, found out that there's a good chance I'm going to Pennsylvania for the TAC event there. It just happens to be the same, same weekend. So it's things like that. Um, I do want to get back into the national shoots. The problem, the main problem I have with the national thing is it's no fun to go by yourself. You want somebody to travel with number one for economics, but number two, it's just not fun to, you know, drive. The two closest shoots for us are London, Kentucky and Metropolis, Illinois, London, Kentucky, I think is like six and a half hours. Metropolis is eight or nine hours. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I don't want to be in a car by myself for that long. Um, I drove out to Missouri for a deer hunt by myself, and I was like, I'm not doing this again. Um, so that's part of it. Um, between between the family life, you know, balancing time, and then getting somebody uh, to travel with me. Um, I'm actually really pushing on John. Like I said, we shot together back in the day. He had some stuff in life that you know, change the circumstances and uh, he had to focus on. So he's got out of archery, not completely out of it, but out of the competitive side. And after his performance in Wisconsin, I think the bugs kind of reignited in him. And I'm hoping he's going to get back into shooting a little bit more and we can start traveling again. Um, but it's just, it's life. I mean, I know you've got 
I think one kid, um, as, as they get older, your priorities change a little bit. And for me, it's whether it's hunting, competitive archery, I just try to do the most I can with the time I have available. And as much as I love the comp- competitive shooting, deer hunting is always going to be one step above it. And I, you know, I've done some out of state hunts and so it, I've caught the bug there as well. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, okay, so another national championship or Boone and Crockett public land buck. Oh, it, it would be Boone and Crockett all day long. I, I shot possibly my biggest um, archery buck last year. Uh, haven't got it back in the tax service, so I don't know. And the feeling after shooting that, it, it, it was a step above stepping on that stage with the national, uh, the first place at the national shoot. Um, both, both just give me an adrenaline dump, but deer hunting's definitely one step above. So where did you shoot that buck? Was that Michigan here or? Yeah, it was, uh, here in Michigan, crazy sequence. I mean, I can go into it a little bit if you yeah. want. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I started out state land hunting. Um, we discussed that, you know, when I was on the West side of Michigan, started on state land, when I got into my first career or, you know, my first job, I was a law enforcement officer. I ended up picking up some private land, um, have never owned any property myself, had permission, you know, permission pieces. And now I live in Southeast Michigan and have a couple permission pieces. I was lucky to harvest uh, a good buck early. I think it was maybe second week of season last year. Um, got a nice buck. So once I fill one tag, I kind of set really high standards for that next tag. And I had a few bucks I was looking at and this one 12 point kept showing up on camera at a buddy's place. Um, and I, I wanted to see him kill, kill that deer in the worst way. I mean, he, he puts in work Well, he ended up shooting two bucks pretty much back to back. Um, I think he tagged the second one, maybe like the 20th of October. So he was tagged out. And at that point I asked him, I said, Hey, is it, you know, kind of free game on that buck? And he's like, heck yeah. You know, I'd rather you kill it than the neighbor. So I started using strategy. Um, I have only had one, one spot. I really hunted there. Uh, Cause I tried to stay away from him and it's in the middle of a cattail swamp. And I, I take off during bow season, usually two to three weeks. Um, and, you know, I have an out of state hunt, usually at least one in there. And in between the out of state hunts, I'm hunting Michigan. Well, long story short, I had an all day set planned for Michigan on a piece down by me and got in a stand. It was decent, but not great, you know, movement wise in the morning. And all of a sudden, my cell cam goes off and I get a picture of this 12 point. He's tending a doe by my tree stand or the, you know, spot I hunt. And so I was like, you know, I'm not going to be able to sneak in there. Hopefully he stays kind of in that area and maybe I'll hunt him tomorrow. So the morning continued on and I had a decent eight point um, come in and I kind of checked him and I'm like, do I shoot him? Do I not shoot him? I'm like, he's not what I want. You know, I know there's a couple other bucks I'm after hold off. And right after that, I had a 10 point come through and he didn't really give me a shot. So I didn't have to, you know, have too hard of a choice on it, but then it just died off. And I just got a wild hair and I'm like, I'm going to head over there. It's at this point it was noon. So I drove, it's about 45 minute drive from where I was at. I drove over to this property, snuck in quietly, 
little bit of wind. And so the cattails, you know, rustling. And I thought it covered my noise going in, got set up. And as soon as I got set up, I hit a doe bleat just to kind of mask it. You know, if anything heard me mask it and think it was just a you know deer wandering around and instantly got a grunt. And this deer is out in these cattails are probably eight foot tall. And this deer's out in the middle of them, 60 yards away. And he's grunting and coming in, but his trail, the main trail is kind of like parallel to me. And then the spots where it pops out my way are 40, 50 yards away from me. And he just kept going back and forth, back and forth, uh, grunting. And I'm like, what deer is this? Is it, you know, is it a good one? Is it another buck? There's a lot of 18 month old bucks down there. Finally, I seen him pop his head through and all I could see was his rack and he's got split brow tines on both sides. So I knew it was him. And that's when the adrenaline kind of kicked in a little bit, but I still maintain my composure. Surprisingly, he came in and at, when he came out of the cattails, he was at 21 yards. I was at full draw. And I'm like, if he takes a step to his left, um, I'm going to have to shoot now because he's, I'm going to, you know, my gaps or lanes really small. I'm like, if he turns right, he's going to come right by me. And sure enough, he turned right. So I just held it. He walked up to six yards, made a good shot. Um, I, I'm using a new broadhead uh, helix broadheads last year. I started using those and I don't know if it's just their single bubble. And I don't know if it's the design of them or what, but I shot this deer. He kind of humped for a second and then ran six yards. It just turns around like he was never hit. And I'm reaching for another arrow. I'm like, I know I watched that arrow, you know, hit the boiler room. And so I'm reaching for another arrow and he just tips over. And that's when it kind of struck me. I mean, up to the point of the shot, I was cool as a cucumber. But once I seen him go down and knew that I just possibly shot my biggest buck, but for me, it was also, you know, not tracking this buck, but, you know, keeping up with when he was coming through, kind of getting a pattern on him. And then that day, you know, I feel like making a good strategy, creeping in on him, getting set up without, you know, getting busted. He was only 60 yards away bedded. And I don't know that to be hundred percent sure he could have been on his feet, but when I made that first call, he was 60 yards away from me in the cattails. And so getting set up and not bumping him and then making the rest, you know, come to fruition was just a huge success for me. Is that the first time that you've used, uh, or was it the first deer you killed with single bevel? No, I had, um, I had shot a buck and a doe last year, um, with it. And the, the first buck, um, I don't know if it was me or what, but it was kind of a weird angle. The shot it ended up being a good shot, but it didn't look good. And he ran off into the edge of the woods. I thought I'd gut shot him. So I, I left him lay for, I think, 12 hours, um, went in and he only went in the woods maybe 25 yards when I found him. But the exit had went through the guts. It was a quarter and two shot. And when I went down looking for blood, I couldn't find hardly any blood. So I thought I was back behind the ribs, thought it was a pure gut shot. Um, he just, uh, the entrance didn't, um, it didn't open up. Uh, now the doe I shot, she did the same thing that Buck did. As soon as I hit her, it was double lung. She kind of humped for a second and then just turned around and looked at her fawn. Like she didn't even know what had happened. She went maybe 
15 yards walking and then just tipped over. Um, so it, yeah, that's, I mean, Ernie shot two bucks in 30 minutes or so, like the second day of season, a couple years back, two years ago. And the first one he thought he missed because he didn't have a range finder and he just guessed him at 35 shot and the deer did the same thing, just kind of, and then he just walked off and then another buck comes in and he turns and shoots him. And that deer ran over. He, he kind of humped up and took a couple quick steps, went over, looked around, and then fell over. So when he went to look for his other arrow, it was covered in blood, but there was like no blood trail. He turns and walks the direction that the deer went, and he only went 50 yards. And same thing, and, and it's those super sharp single bevels. It just seems like the deer don't even know that anything happened. And if you, you know, uh, the heavy arrow thing, all the stuff with like the ranch ferry, but what, even what he says about those like super sharp single bubble broadheads is that everybody complains about no, br- no blood trail or whatever, but the deer die within, you know, 50 yards or whatever. So it's interesting that you have the same experience. Now, were those the new ones with the bleeders? Or no, no, these were the, the two blade. Um, and actually Aaron Blasey, um, he's the one that kind of, I won't say got me to shoot him, but I was listening to one of his podcasts and he was talking and he said in his opinion and what he's found is that, you know, when the arrow blows through a deer so quick that they don't, it tends to be that they don't know they were hit. They'll go less distance. The old setup I was using, I was getting, 98% pass-throughs, but I was always holding up on the fletching. The fletching would be hanging in the deer, and those deer would run until they died. Well, I mean, you've killed enough deer. Even a good shot, double lung, they can make it 150, 200 yards before they finally, you know, die. And so I was like, hey, you know, he swears by these. Let me give him a shot. And I was shooting the two blades. Now, since then they came out with that four blade with the bleeder blade. I'm, I'm interested to see because everything that they claim these fix are, are things that I seen not as issues, but as challenges last year, you know, lack of blood. Um, but I had a buddy ask me, he's like, so you're going to get rid of them. I said, well, why would I? I said, it doesn't matter if they bleed, if they die in eyesight, you know I mean? If, if they make it 20 yards and they're dead, I don't really need a blood trail, but. I am interested to see how these new four blade with the bleeder blades do. The reason I was asking why, where you shot that buck is it's like it, it it's twofold. One is because it's, I think it's funny. Um, if, if you get to see the video on this one, like Brent looks, you know, a certain way. He's like, nice, clean cut looking dude. But like when I was trying to figure out like John, I was finding him on Facebook and then I, I found him and then I seen the picture and Brent looks like a freaking wizard or like a warlock with like long hair and this like really scraggly beard. And I'm like, geez, man, what kind of hunt was that? <laughs> like, Yeah, that, that was our Wyoming hunt. It's actually this buck here. That's that's that deer. <laughs> but my question was, because if you have access to these deer and you have, um, you know, you're shooting your biggest buck here in Michigan from that same like 
competitive mindset or, or, you know, saying, okay, well, I, my next buck, need, I want it to be bigger or, or whatever in your shooting, you know, you shot your biggest buck here in Michigan. Like, why do you need to go out of state then? The out of state, just the hunt. I went to Missouri last year, um, got a nice buck down there, but in a seven day period, I seen 13 or 15 bucks, two shooters. Um, I went to Ohio as well last year. I did not get a shot at this buck, but I was on 150 inch buck, seen two other bucks that were 130 pluses. Um, I've hunted Ohio, you know, past years. It's the quality of hunting, in my opinion. Um, the pressure, I feel it's less, even on state land. Um, all my out-of-state hunts are majority of my out-of-state hunts are on public land. I feel like you can get on good deer, you know, do that scouting, look for the fresh sign and then get on good deer where in Michigan, I mean, even having private land, it can be a challenge, uh, finding a good deer, getting on that deer and hunting it unpressured. Um, you know, whether it be a neighbor or most of the properties I hunt have other people that hunt them. So it can just be a little bit of a challenge. I just find out of state to be more, I don't want to say productive, but more enjoyable. You know, I, I feel like the the ruts are better. I feel like the quality of deer are better and it, it's just a more enjoyable hunt to me. What's your process for like getting on these deer out of state? If you're getting on, you know, in the double digits of, of bucks, um, how are you, what's the process in going in there and finding them? So, for Missouri, um, I had a buddy that had hunted this area prior to me going. So I had a little bit of a layout of the land, but, you know, I just used uh, online mapping to kind of, you know, e-scout it. But I'll be honest, I'm not great at e-scouting. Um, I'm a boots on the ground kind of guy, but I got an idea of kind of where I wanted to be. And then went out there. There were six total of us that went out there. So we broke up in groups of three. Um, I was scouting for myself and then two other buddies that were brand new out-of-state hunters. So I just kind of went in, uh, found stuff that looked good to me, uh, tried to pick multiple spots depending on what the wind was predicted to be. And I went about it that way. Um, Most of the bucks in Missouri were the 18-month age class. There were, like I say, there were two shooters I found. Um, I, you know, harvested one of them, uh, for Ohio, I kind of, I won't say I stumbled into it because I did a little bit of homework, but it was a last minute decision. I had taken off three weeks of vacation. Um, I'm not a big fan of Michigan's gun season just because there are so many people out there. It's just not enjoyable for me. Um, so I've the last couple of years elected to go to Ohio during our gun season being I'd already tagged two bucks in Michigan. I had a buddy that wanted to hunt one of my properties. I'm like, dude, go for it. And I made a last minute decision to shoot to Ohio. It was a new spot in Ohio that I'd never hunted before. And I just went in, uh, found a parking spot and went in and started walking around, ended up stumbling into another hunter who was pulling his sets and, you know, talked with him. He, he told me, you know, he'd seen a couple bucks, but they're all small. And I was like, all right, you know, and, I didn't maybe go more than a hundred yards after that. And I jumped 
I don't know how big he was, but I could definitely see, you know, a nice rack on his head when he's running, running away. So I was like, all right, there's at least one in here bedded. Um, it was, I think I got down there November 14th. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's already prime rut, possibly lockdown phase. So I just found a water feature. Uh, there's a creek and just started scouting along it, did a hanging hunt. And the first, I think it was the first night. Um, no, I'm sorry. I get down there and scouted the first day, half day, if you will. The next morning, I, I marked a tree that night. And then the next morning, I walked in, just did a hanging hunt, all-day hunt, and ended up having that 150 walk by. Uh, he was on the other side of the creek. I couldn't get a shot at him. And so then the following day was supposed to rain all day long. And it was going to be maybe like 37 degrees. And I'm like, I'm not going to get pneumonia out here. Uh, so I hunted until it began raining, packed all my stuff up, threw on some rain gear and just started scouting again. And then I crossed that creek and found out, you know, why they were doing what they were doing, found what I thought to be the best trail system to give me a shot and just set up on it. Um, I think I hunted the same tree. So it was Tuesday. Yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I hunted the same tree because I kept seeing bucks come by. Unfortunately, the ones I wanted to shoot were staying out about 70 yards. Um, and I was right up against this creek and was trying not to cross it because it was going to require changing into waders and a whole, <laughs> whole wardrobe change. And it just wasn't something I was trying to do. Had I done that, I think I could have got a shot, but, but for me, it's just, I've been hunting since I was 12 years old and 41 and I think it's just learning the lay of the land for me. When I see something that looks good, I investigate it. Um, I've had a couple of buddies, uh, the two guys that went down to Missouri with me, the one asked me, he's like, Hey, like teach me. And I'm like, I'll do my best. But I'm like, so, so much of it's just, I see something that makes sense to me. I, I can't explain to you why it makes sense to me, but it makes sense to me. And so I've been trying to work with him a little bit. Um, stuff that I think is second, you know, just secondhand knowledge, um, or, you know, the given to him is still something new. Uh, we, we came up on a scrape actually turkey hunting this year and he's like, Hey, is this a scrape? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, but they're still using it. And I'm like, well, it's a social scrape. They use those year round. I didn't even think about, you know, him not knowing that. So, um, a lot of it's just, I think time in the woods, I, I'm not as crazy as Andy May and, you know, scout as much as he does, but I would say in from January till April, I'm probably in the woods three days a week. And then um, turkey hunting, obviously I'm out as much as I can during the summer. My business schedule gets a little more busy, but I'm still trying to glass and, you know, do that type of stuff, running cameras. And then as soon as season starts, I'm back in the woods if, if I can get away with it, I'll, I'll hunt five days a week. Um, once season comes around, try to be, I, I run a lot of different locations, so I don't over hunt an area. Um, I've got, I think I've got a total of nine different properties I can hunt. So it, it makes it easy. Plus there's hundreds of acres of state land that I can bounce out on too. If I just have that itch to get out and don't want to go screw up one of my good spots. What is the, the correlation between your 3d archery and your hunting success. So 
for me, and I, I think I said earlier, the reason I did archery was to stay prepared. What I found is like when that 12 point was coming in, I shoot so many arrows and my routine is the same over and over and over again that it almost becomes systematic. I don't think about it. I couldn't tell you when I drew on that 12 point, what, what exactly my pin was doing or anything. I just go into like a mode and I'm focused on the animal, you know, watching if there's another animal coming in, you know, because how many times have you been at full draw and you go to move and there's a doe off to your left side or something that, you know, it busts you. So my focus is no longer on the, you know, making sure my sights level, making sure all that stuff's done because it's just systematic. I'm so used to my bow. If you know, the peep turns just a little bit, I, I can tell. And I think that's where a lot of my success comes is I'm very comfortable with my equipment. Um, I, I now use an adjustable site back. I don't know. I think I started using that like four years ago, three years ago. But prior to that, I was shooting my bow so much that I had a five pin sight. I could tell you if, you know, I was at 43 yards that my arrow was going to drop this far as opposed to having to guess, you know, I'll just hold a little high. I could tell you it's going to have a three inch drop at 43 yards, put your 40 yard pin, you know, this high and take the shot. And it's, I, I just feel like I'm in tune with my bow because of how many arrows I shoot, my release. I'm doing everything consistently the same way. Um, so I don't have those errors, if you will. And that's one thing I wanted to, to touch on too, that I didn't know. Most people don't know. So, some people, you know, if they're into uh, to target archery, but the in some of the different classes, like you can't touch your bow. Like after you 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 start the course, like you're not allowed to make any adjustments. Correct? How does that work? Yep. So your open classes, which are the long stabilizers, the adjustable sights, you know, lenses, stuff like that, you can do anything to your bow. I won't say anything, but your sight, you can move your sight between every target. If you're hitting a little bit left or a little bit right, you can put clicks in it. If your yardage, you know, those sites have yardage tapes on them that if the target's at 40 yards, you dial your sight or click your sight till your indicator hits 40. If let's say you're shooting a little bit high at 40. Okay. Well, my tape's a little bit off. I can adjust that when you're shooting hunter class, which is what I shoot in ASA. You are not allowed to move your sight. Um, you can do one, they call it gain adjustment or mass adjustment, and that's using moving the housing. So if you're consistently hitting the left on a target, you can move your housing to the left a little bit to correct that. But if you move it too far, you're, you made your one mass or gain adjustment and you better compensate the rest of the day. Same with your pins. I made the mistake a few years ago. I was shooting one fun tournament, if you will, but it was still competitive for money. And I don't remember why I did it, but I adjusted my pins from the yardages I normally have them at. And when I did that, completely forgot about it because I wasn't shooting another ASA event for like three weeks. And I get to the ASA event, which happened to be the state championship. And I'm like four targets in and I'm hitting super high, super low. And I'm like, these pins are not hitting where they're supposed to be. And it was after that, that I realized, yeah, dummy, you moved your pins, but I was kind of SOL that day. I, I had to relearn where the pins were. And once I learned that, I was like 10 targets in, 
um, once I figured out where all three pins were set at, and then I was fine the rest of the day. But if you make an adjustment, we were talking about that. If you make an adjustment and it's not the right adjustment, you're done. Or not you're done, but you have to live with it the rest of the tournament. So for your regular guy that – I mean, and I can think of one of our, our, our guys out in Washington stands looking at, you know, he found a club. They've got like archery events and – um, I don't know if you know TJ Merritt. He started shooting ASA this year, um, and doing some of these events. Like for guys that are looking to get into it, and maybe they're competitive, or maybe they're just good shots, and they want to see like how they measure up, or like like whatever. What would your recommendations be for guys that are like just starting and kind of like equipment wise? Um, what class, um, all that type of thing. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing I can say is don't be scared. Um, I just thought I was an average shooter, which I am pretty much an average shooter, but I just, I'm like, Oh, these guys are pros or they're going to, you know, never miss. And now that I've got into it, I mean, I've watched guys drive further bow. I've watched guys miss targets. Um, Levi Reitzma, he's a Michigan guy, actually from the West Side. He shoots known pro, and his first shoot-off this year completely missed the target. Um, that kid can shoot dimes at 50 yards, but he just he just had a hiccup. So everyone makes mistakes, so don't feel like you know they're at a different level than you are. The second thing is you'll get better. I mean, I talked about John and I shooting against each other at the event this last weekend, I I'm driven by competition. So if I'm shooting against somebody who's doing very well, my score will be very well. If I'm shooting against somebody who's not doing super well, I don't know if I just get lazy or relaxed, but I'll just shoot center tens all day, you know? So for me, shooting against good competitors drove me to do better and actually help me people. 99% of the people out there are going to be extremely friendly. Um, very seldom do you get into people that are their jerks. Um, you can get in ASA has a class that's called men's pen men's pins 30. Um, it's a 30 yard max class. Uh, pretty, pretty, you know, standard um, scoring still the exact same. The only downside with ASA is they have a speed restriction on your bow. And that's what drove me to start having multiple bows is you can only shoot, I believe it's 285 or 285 feet per second. So with the new bows out there, you know, Matthews, Hoyt, PSE, it doesn't matter who you're talking. They're all 300, 330 uh, feet per second bows. So you're going to have to build a little bit of a heavier arrow. Um, and if you're not really good at that stuff, get with one of your pro shops. They can help you. I mean, if you have screwing points, I've had to go on some of my arrows up to 150 grain screwing points to hit speed restrictions. Now I do glue in points. So, it's a little bit easier to, you know, build my arrows where I need them, but just make sure you're within regulations. Um, some of the other ones like ASA has a speed restriction, IBO, IAA, they all have the five grains per pound. So your arrow, when you weigh your arrow, it has to have, if you're drawing 70 pounds, your arrow has to weigh 350 grains, um, which is standard bow. If you talk to any bow manufacturer, they're going to tell you your arrow should be five grains per pound you're shooting. So, um, that's, you know, nothing hard. 
And then don't be afraid to take out your hunting equipment. Um, as long as you meet the restrictions, you know, read the rules. They're all, as far as I know, all of them have online pages. Read the rules. Make sure you fall in whatever class you want to shoot and go out and just try it. You will have fun. Um, you'll meet a lot of cool people. The sport here in Michigan has picked up. You know, ASA has its ups and downs, you know, but it's not uncommon for an ASA weekend in Michigan to see, you know, a hundred shooters, IAA, they have at times 200 people show up to their shoots for the weekend. Um, and at a national event, you're talking thousands. Um, and you can shoot some like ASA is all money classes. So the entry fee is $25 and $10 of that goes to paybacks. So if you win your class, take the number of shooters times 10 and that's your, you know, payback. Um, IAA, they have fun classes or trophy classes, so there's there's the opportunity for guys to go out there. Those classes are ten dollars. Um, so you can go out there. It, it can also be a family event. IAA is real big on um, being structured towards the family, so they offer family rates. Um, there's no membership for IAA, ASA. You do have to buy a membership if you shoot at the national level or a state championship shoot, but um, it, it's not super expensive to get into. You don't have to have special equipment unless you're going into, you know, one of the higher open classes. And, and then for the guys that don't hunt, there's a lot of archers that shoot competitive archery that don't want to hunt. My daughter, she has no interest in killing an animal. She loves tracking them. Um, but she doesn't want to kill one, but she loves putting arrows in foam. So for people like her target archery gives them an opportunity to shoot their bow and, um, without having to go out hunting. So. And where like in, in, in understanding that this could be in any state, where do people, where, where would you go? Where would you point someone to, to, to find uh, this information? So ASA is a national organization. They have, let's like, say national shoots. Now each state, I believe I shouldn't say every state, but majority of states have a local chapter or whatever. Um, asaarchery.com is the national website. Um, if you're not able to find your state director or anything on there, just call into their their office and they can tell you who the local director is going to be. And then a lot of them have Facebook pages. Michigan's does, Indiana, Ohio, all have Facebook pages. Also, there, there's probably other organizations out there like Ohio they have, and I don't even know what it's called, but it's like Ohio 3D or something. And it's its own organization, um, not at a national level, but it is very large in Ohio. Um, so check with, you know, if you have ranges around the area, maybe even call to them uh, and ask around, you know, what's in your area. I don't know about out west. I mean, I know I've got a buddy who lives in, I think it's North Dakota, and they have a, or a state level ASA. I've met him at a national shoot and we've stayed in touch. So I know like North Dakota has ASA shoots. Um, I'm assuming most States do. And then there's like Redding, California. It was just a big shoot this last weekend, I believe, or the, I think it was this weekend, actually Redding, California was going on. Now I've never been there. Um, it, I think it's a lot like total archery challenge, um, but at a more competitive route, you know, they have shots out to 101 yards and it's it's for cash. So I would just, you know, kind of ask around your local area. There are some websites. IBO has a national website. ASA has a national website. 
check those for your local on that, but otherwise just ask around and see what, you know, local pro shops advice or information they can give you. And then I guess as we go into, you know, a lot of people like to do these fun shoots like myself with uh, the total archery challenge and, you know, mountain archery fest or um, Northwest mountain challenge, any, any of those type events. Um, and, and that's what was kind of striking for me. Like, over this past weekend is I was expecting like total archery challenge, like level production, you know, like that, I mean, cause there's, you know, tons of people and the energy and everything. And, you know, we had some, the, the weather wasn't the greatest. It wasn't like the sunniest of nicest of days or, or any of that stuff, but it was just like, man, there was, I think I, I had more people at the barbecue than there was people at the, you know, uh, the shoot. So, I guess I was, I was looking for like some pomp and circumstance, I I guess. Um, But for the like fun shoots that people go to, like how does your preparation for those change? Or what would you say to people who are like, I want to go do one of these tack events and then, and then the contrast from like a regular 3d shoot. Yeah. um, I, like, like I said earlier in the conversation, I'm doing a little bit of a shift more to the fun shoots um, I have an absolute blast at Total Archery Challenge. I've been shooting it here in Michigan since they began doing it. Um, it's just, it's a different atmosphere. And I feel like some of the egos left at the, you know, at the car, we, in our small group, we have a huge competition, but I could care less what the next group shooting. You know, if, if the guy, I think it was Uncle Frank was saying in one of your podcasts that, He's like, oh, you got to shoot from the cone. I'm going to step over here and shoot. No one cares because at the end of the day, there's no money on the line, you know, across the board for everybody. It's you're shooting against you and your group. Um, So my preparation for those, the only difference is I, I mean, I shouldn't say only difference, but total archer challenge. You're shooting out to 120 yards where one of my competitive shoots, I'm shooting out to 40 yards. At Total Archer Challenge, I, I adapt the or adopt the Adam Miller style of foam is your friend. And obviously, I'm trying to shoot center 11th or 12 or whatever they come it as, but I'm just trying to hit the target. At 120 yards, I am not skilled enough to shoot a 12 every time, you know. So I, I have a little bit less expectations. I want to go there and have fun um, because the yardages are at a level that I don't. I mean, I practice out to 120 yards, but like you said earlier, you're, you know, on that release, your form was just a little bit off at an 80 yard shot. If you're torquing that bow, you know, two degrees, you could hit that deer in the front shoulder or neck where at 40 yards, if you're torquing it just a little bit, you might be out just outside the 10 ring or something, you know? So um, I have lower expectations when I go to tack, I'm going there, uh, to have a good time and just kind of relax. I was telling you, you know, when we had dinner there this last weekend that it, it's, it was hard for me to turn my mind off the first probably three years I did tack. If I was shooting a bad shot, I'd get frustrated. I'm like, dude, you're better. Than, you, you can do better than this. And then I'm like, yeah, I just shot an eight at 65 yards. I hit the target. I should be happy, you know? And so that's where my mindset changed a little bit. Um, 
And I would recommend if someone can find a fun shoot, get out and shoot 3D. I mean, once you start shooting 3D, it it becomes addictive and you get a lot more comfortable. Um, like you were talking about the scoring, you know, if someone goes to a fun shoot, they can learn the, you know, some of the rules, some of the etiquettes on the course, um, learn the scoring. So when they go to the first competitive shoot, they don't feel like a complete novice. Now, I will say, even if you are a complete novice, 99% of people are not going to care. I've been at tournaments where when you go to a tournament, you always have two scorecards. Um, so you'll have two scores, usually a four-man group. So two scores and then the two two score callers, they call the arrows where they're at in the target. I've had guys go, dude, I'm not scoring. I don't, I don't know the targets. So, you know, you walk them through that. So it's, don't be scared of that, but doing a fun shoot gets you into it, gets you accustomed to, you know, shooting from the stake or, you know, knowing what stakes mean, what, you know, total archery challenge. There's just one cone, but, uh, some club shoots, but definitely your competitive shoots. There might be five or six different colored stakes on each target, knowing which stake you're supposed to stand at to shoot the target, you know? So the more you can get out there, the more knowledge you get and the easier I think it'll be when you transition into a competitive, if people decide to go that route. So for guys that are maybe doing their first 3d shoot or their first, um, total archery challenge or, or, or fun shoot or whatever, um, what are some things they might not think about as far as like gear to bring? Cause you see the guys with, uh, with a chair, a bag, an umbrella, a towel, seven, uh, scoring cards, uh, you know, the, the hip quiver, uh, with a multitude of things. Like, what do you really need? So, yeah, I mean, the 3d, 3d tournaments have evolved. You, you talked about the clipboards, people back, I'll say even 10 years ago, they would bring these clipboards because it showed where the vitals were on every target. Our optics have got so good that a good pair of binoculars, a rangefinder, and depending on the event, possibly some, you know, snacks, a bottle of water. That's all you really need. Um, I, I have a shooter stool. I take it maybe, maybe once a year to a shoot it's mainly for national shoots, but it's more luggage than you really need. Um, my, excuse me. Um, my current setup is I have a hip quiver, um, to carry my arrows in. If guys are bow hunting and have their other, you know, their hunting quiver, you can leave that on. You need something to carry your arrows, but basically my hip quiver, my arrows, I have a range finder, um, my binoculars. And then I do carry, an extra piece of D loop material and a thing of Allen wrenches just in case something happens on the course. Um, I, I work on my own bows so I can tie a D loop on the fly if I need to. But most people, if you have bow arrows, some way to hold your arrows and binoculars and a rangefinder, you're going to, you're going to be good. All right. So what, as far as preparation for tack, like what would you recommend for someone going to their first event? So they, they are like, okay, well, I like my brother-in-law, I've got, I've got four arrows, uh, at that match. And then I got another four arrows that match. I got a sight. It slides up and down. Um, I got a release. I shot my bow last year, hunting season. I'm good. Um, what would you say? 
Um, <laughs> set your expectations. I mean, if you have, I, I seen a post actually just for jumping on this. Um, someone asked how many people Tennessee tack just went on. How many people left Tennessee with the same arrows they came with? If your goal is to go into tack and not lose any arrows, then I suggest you practice, 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 and make sure your you know sights are on and you know everything about your bow. If your expectation is go up there and have fun, um, decide how many targets you're going to shoot. You know, they're, I think they're down to 20 targets per course now, but if you're going to shoot two courses in a day, um, that's, that's 40 draws and that's not shooting on the practice range at all. So I, I would get some practice shots in, get your, you know, shoulders, muscles used to shooting. Um, tack is a very strenuous, um, course just physically you know up and down the hill so a little bit of physical conditioning goes a long way but basically learn your bow um if you have a slider sight make sure your tape's on but i shot with a guy last year who had fixed pins his pins only went out to i think 80 yards and he shot extremely well but he knew you know between his 70 and 80 he had a pretty big gap but he knew where where 74 was 75 was you know, so learn your bow, um, make sure your tuning's on because like I was discussing earlier, what happens at 30 yards and what happens at 60, 70 yards, any imperfection you have in your bow is going to get magnified going out, you know, at hundred, 120 yards. Um, if you have the opportunity to shoot that far, go, go take a few practice shots. Uh, it lowers the element of surprise. I mean, when you, when you walk up to a caribou that's at 111 yards, a lot of people are like, I can't hit that. Have you ever tried? You know, if you have the opportunity and ability to practice at that distance, throw a few shots out there, feel comfortable with it. It'll make you a lot more comfortable when you get to the course. Um, for Total Archery Challenge, I do recommend um, water and or some type of beverage and food because, like I say, it's a strenuous course. Uh, I haven't done Mountain Fest or any of those. I got to assume they're very similar. Uh, some type of backpack or something you can carry, you know, a little bit of food. I like trail mix. I always carry a bottle of trail mix and two or three waters on the course. They have for total archery challenge, they have filling stations. So, you know, there is water out there if you need it. Um, but yeah, get comfortable with your bow. If, if you have new gear, um, I, I chuckled the first time I was at a total archery challenge and there's guys out there in full Sinka gear and, you know, their frame backpack. And I'm like, what the heck are these guys doing? Well, then I found out, you know, they're doing elk hunts this year or whatever. If you've got new gear and you want to test it, it's a great opportunity because if it fails, you now are not, you know, stranded out, you know, 100 miles from civilization or just spent $7,000 on an elk hunt. And now half your week's screwed up because you got to go get new gear. So, yeah, yeah. So if people want to get a hold of you or and they got questions about like, uh, ASA or anything, or they're like, Hey, I'm going to this event. Are you going to be there? Um, etc. How can people get a hold of you? Um, so I'm on Facebook, uh, just Brent Woodward, I believe it is. Um, I have an Instagram. I want to say it's Widowmaker81, which the the handle is a long joke from way back, but uh, I am on Insta or uh, social media. Um, I, I'm very active here in Michigan in archery. So if anyone's from Michigan and has questions, you know, reach out to me. 
Um, if you're from out of state, if I don't have the answers, I can hopefully put you in contact with somebody who could answer your questions. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on and spending the time with us and, uh, I can't wait to see you again in uh, in a month. So, <laughs> sounds good, man. <laughs> All right.